0: We've got, like, a nice theme going on where the theme is no theme whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so hopefully that continues, and we can continue sort of pushing this as the weirdest movie show with no consistency whatsoever. <laughs> That's
1: our niche. Our niche of not having a niche. We will be doing director number 78. 78 is... Oh, blimey, yeah, I think that that has... That's Alexandra Arjun. So, first legit
0: horror director at the very least. Yes, yeah. He came to prominence um, as part of the uh, French extremism. Yes. With, I think his movie was called High Tension, which has been called like all sorts of things all over the world. Hmm. Um, he went on to direct the Piranha
1: movies, which I still haven't seen. Because,
0: come on. <laughs>
1: He directed, uh, I think the only one of his I've seen is that remake of The Hills Have Eyes, which I thought was significantly better than it had any right to be.
0: Yeah, he had that movie from, I think it was last year, maybe the year before.
1: Years don't mean much anymore. Um, (laughs) Crawl. It's quite a prolific career for someone who, like I say, I have not managed to catch much of this stuff at all.
0: Rob Simpson and welcome to Directors Uncut. If this is your first episode we put filmmakers from all genres and all corners of the globe onto a huge list that covers everything from Dutch provocateurs to Hollywood golden era studs. Then we turn it into a lottery of directors by using a random number generator to pick a name out of the hat. Whatever name comes out, myself and some guest hosts discuss them and their work through two films. Now this week we're talking about Alexandra Aja and this is the latest episode of our weekly push to move all of the patreon episodes on the main feed before the season two break. Um, for the majority of the show I will be joined by Graham Williamson. Um, he- Also, he's a writer for the Geek Show and Horrified magazine, as well as a filmmaker in his own right. And then, at the back end of the show, I'm joined by Kat from the Hollywood News and Andy from Road to Nowhere. And this is a new recording bit at the end. So, enough of the intro. Let's just jump into the recording and talk about Alexandra Aja from, I think this must have been April 2021.
1: The only thing of his that I think I had seen before was I saw his remake of The Hills Have Eyes, which is very nasty. I don't think you can make a remake of The Hills Have Eyes and not have it be very nasty. Uh, It struck me either way as probably more interesting than it had any right to be. Yeah,
0: for me, I don't think I've actually seen any of his films before Crawl. He's just one of those directors who's just always there.
1: Yeah, he's one of those guys. I always bracketed him with someone like May Colet-Serra, where they get a lot of praise for being kind of unpretentious journeymen, and there aren't many of those about. And when whenever I read those takes, I always sort of think, well, yeah, but I also require them to be good.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me... I kind of tied him with a brush that he couldn't get rid of, no matter how good a filmmaker he could become, no matter what films he could ever produce. But any any director who takes Jordan is, I think it was his directorial debut back in the seventies. I think the sequel was for James Cameron uh, the Piranha movies under Roger Corman.
1: Oh yeah, and makes
0: that <laughs> into <laughs> Piranha Three Double D.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nobody ever said he was a highbrow director. <laughs>
0: no, no. I mean, I, I guess I understand the past version of me for putting him in just to make this out of the brows of variable quality. So it's not all highbrow stuff. I've got some some stuff in here which isn't that i guess
1: <laughs> but he's a weird guy isn't he archer because you always get the sense that he wants to step outside of being that guy who does really nasty horror movies but every time he does something that's you know something like horns or the ninth life of louis drax something that's still kind of horror tinged but it's a noticeably different kind and every time he does that just tanks it absolutely goes down <laughs> with flames
0: you know, oh, here we go I'm trying to reference names of directors but it's completely escaped me but uh, Govabinski there we go it didn't take that much digging that one mm. he tried to get out of the shadow of the Pirates of the Caribbean's movie, Caribbean movie by making that oh, I don't know what you describe his passion Are project you're thinking
1: as, of the cure for wellness
0: I am thinking of the cure for wellness that was a left turn uh, which nobody saw coming mm. and maybe I just got one to limit him. I don't know
1: maybe yeah maybe but not yet, because <laughs> uh, we did. We decided to crawl, which is his most recent work. I know he is tinkering with something else, but as we record, that is his most recent work. And we also did. I was surprised to find out it wasn't his first film, but it was his breakthrough film, Hot Tension.
0: Yeah, there's a sort of a apocalypse movie he did before that called 30 or something, mm. if I, which is just impossible to even. There's no stills of it, never mind an actual print of it out there you can find.
1: Apparently it has a very young Marion Cotillard in it, which you'd think would inspire someone to reissue the damn thing, but...
0: Maybe some point in time, you know. I mean, Blu-ray companies are always plucking these weird little things uh, out of obscurity, so who knows?
1: It's very true, yeah. Who
0: knows? But uh, I guess we should do it chronologically with uh, high tension first. Oh, yeah, because so
1: this was—it's oh, so many names. This 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 was released in the UK under the. I'm I'm going to lay my cards on the table here regarding the name, the piss-poor name of Switchblade Romance, <laughs> and it was released at a particularly thin time, I think, for Western horror. That basically it was that that point around the turn of the millennium where everyone had just seen like Ring and the grudge and things like that. And all of the West's horror filmmakers just went, uh, no, we can't (laughs) actually top that.
0: Yeah. That's that's kind of a weird time for me because around that time, I was like, Mm. Oh my God, I adore horror. The ring, dark water films like that. This is the best. And then you get the American stuff that was coming out. And it basically, I mean, this is coming off a decade of late era slashes, uh, which yeah. like, I know you did last summer. I know what you did the summer before last and uh, stuff like this. <laughs>
1: My memory of what you did last summer is fading as I am now senile, <laughs> but I still have some knowledge of it. That was
0: a bad time for horror. It really, really was.
1: Completely, and This
0: yeah. is sort of like front end of the French extremism. It's not quite in the same wheelhouse as them, but it's lumped in with
1: them nonetheless. Yeah, it's a funny one, that, because I I remember back when we did Cinema Eclectica, there was always this weird thing where Ryan, and if you're listening to this, Ryan, hello, uh, but our co-host Ryan used to always sort of say, oh, Graham, I know you hate that new French extremity stuff, and I thought, (laughs) <laughs> no, the, the bits I've seen of it I actually thought was good. It was like, it's the weirdest misinterpretation of me I've ever come across. It's normally I can at least see how I'm giving that impression, but no, what I watched inside, I thought it was good. It, it, it's, it's a bit neither
0: knuckle up. as far as fame but
1: well. yeah. Yeah, it's got Beatrice Dahl in it. I'm happy, I'm yes. a simple man.
0: Whereas High Tension, let's see if we get the, the plot. Uh, Cécile de France, which is... A name for a French person, all right? But she's from Belgium. Oh.
1: She's a goddamn liar, Rob. Oh, uh,
0: my worldview has being broken now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought black was black and white was white, and now I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> <laughs> see if I can pick myself up from that. <laughs> but she yeah. uh, is, is going to visit a friend in the country mm. and stay with the family. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pretty slow-paced start. Uh, they have like lunch with the entire family, um, and they go upstairs, the bed for the night. In the background, there's been shots of this, I don't know how you'd describe it, this shitty tank thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> sort yeah.
0: of powering its way through the beautiful French countryside, and in it is a serial killer, but he's not at the house yet. Mm. Before that, uh, Cécile de France, uh, I, I don't know how you'd describe this scene, so she's powering through with some reggae, I think, isn't
1: it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you'd describe it, but that is not one of the ways I would describe well, it. After the John Waters episode, I think we're all euphemism doubts. out. We've yeah. burned through our material on the euphemism. <laughs> it was front. the
0: movie... Oh, what was it called? From last year, it was one of my favourite uh, lovers... Rock, yeah, lovers rock made. Uh, oh yeah, this is my reason anyway. Lovers rock made reggae super sensual. So that's my justification for making
1: that joke. That's fine. I can get, <laughs> I can dig it
0: now. <laughs> but anyhow, she that happens, and uh, there's a knock on the door. Who should it be? Mm. <laughs> it's the serial killer man. And uh, yeah, he claws the face of the the dad of the the family, and from that point, he basically goes in a vendetta to basically kill everybody. And mm. it's it's essentially a slasher, but one of the more mean-spirited and very gory. Uh, I don't even think in the 80s, like Halcyon days, it hit the sort of nasty, mean-spirited, sinewy
1: violence that it does in this. Interesting, interesting. I think the thing that struck me, and this might be an expectation, thinks one of the things, one of the few things I'd read about this film before going in was that the makeup artist is uh, Gennetto De Rossi, who was Lucio Fulci's regular makeup artist. So immediately, (laughs) oh, right, okay, fine. I've
0: got to get this out of the way. I I have to get this out of the way, right? It's, it's yeah. coloured my my, my um, opinion on the movie pretty much spot on. When the killer yeah. has his cap on, he looks like Donald Trump. And I thought, oh, hell. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. He took the election loss really badly. He kept on sort of colouring my head. It, it, it's uncanny. I mean, he looks different when you see his face, but sort of his, his partly silhouette and his cap its like, oh, wow. That's a MAGA supporter right there. And it might have undermined the tension a little bit. I'm not sure.
1: Because that guy is Philippe Nahon, who was a regular in Gaspar Noé's films. And he he seems like the kind of guy who'd be a regular in Gaspar Noé's films, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Yeah.
0: But, yeah, it's this is my first French extremism film. I mean, it's not really one because... uh, French extremism seems to be a type of movie which is typified by having some sort of subtext to the extreme violence, whereas Hmm. this, it's just extreme violence.
1: Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because when people talk about that new French extremity scene, they're really talking about two separate things. You've got the new French extremity of something like uh, Leos Kavax's Polex or much as I hate her work, Catherine Brela, where it's obviously originating from a kind of art house tradition and then you've got stuff like Martyrs and Inside and this, which, I mean, I think they are appreciably different from other countries' mm. gore movies but they are still gore movies. Yeah, I mean, they have a
0: tradition of gore movies in France with the Grand I uh, well you can't pronounce that it's probably really wrong but yeah, the, the, the theatre shows which were just bubbled everywhere and quite quite savage and people went to be grossed out really and they also got a lot of controversy there was a film a few years ago I can't remember the name of it but it was about that movement it's just it it didn't wow me in any way but it was an interesting sort of peer behind a curtain of it period of fate history which is kind of overlooked besides sort of uh, comparison points
1: and i suppose even as we go forward into the 70s you can talk about french horror as having a particular flavor with someone like jean rollin whose films are also often very gory but have a certain investment in atmosphere mm. that I don't think is really there in this. I think there are bits of it that work, but certainly not as atmospheric as something like Fascination.
0: Ah, yeah, I really want... Wait. I hope that John Rowland pops up soon on this show because I just need the excuse to dig into his stuff. Um, yeah. The name kind, kind of paints a picture for this, though. It's called uh, High Tension, so it's... Well, one of it is switchblade romance. is the other one, which. I don't guess, but we'll go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that also paints a picture. It's just a really dumb picture that's made by kids, like stabbing a canvas with a paintbrush.
0: <laughs> yeah, but a lot of it is... There's graphic killings and slaying... Killings are something like mm. those two people from League of Gentlemen's. and how many killings does it have?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, they would love this. <laughs>
0: they would, yeah. They'd adore it. Um, but it... <laughs> There's really graphic killings, like the one at the beginning where uh, the father is has his head put between two banisters and sort yeah. of pushed off his head with like a, a, a bookcase or something, which is very silly. It's probably the silliest this movie gets. Yeah. Because it has that sort of typically Japanese gore theft where just blood sprays everywhere.
1: I was going to say, yeah, that was a bit that I was not expecting, because I'd this came out like a year before Saw, so I know, but I'd always kind of bracketed Ash's early stuff as, as part of that kind of torture porn stuff, and the torture porn stuff is very gory, but it's a kind of a, a joyless, grinding kind of drudgery gore, um, whereas this is just a completely mental horse pipe effect, like something out of Kill Bill.
0: Yeah, you or know, that scene from uh, Tenebrae when the woman's arm's chopped off and it just sprays about a swimming tank full of red paint everywhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it does, yes. So I suppose that's that's part of why I guess I found it a bit more redeemable than you. I think there is a, a bit of exuberance in it. It's not made by people who just pompously want to remind you that the world sucks like a lot of the torture cycle oh, yeah.
0: I mean, it, it doesn't have... It's mean-spirited in the sense of what the violence is and how it's enacted. But the way it's Mm. presented, there's... I mean, the fact that you said it was from the person who uh, worked with Lucio Fulci, it gives it a lot more context, that sort of violence. Yeah. Yeah. It's still... I think it's just that sort of aspect of it, it's slow and it never looks away,
1: which makes it sort of
0: hard to watch. And got it a lot of... Uh, bad criticism from a lot of uh, high-profile people when it was released.
1: Well, there's one in particular, uh, one very bad uh, review that came from Dean Koontz, the (laughs) uh, legendary horror author, who was asked whether he thought the film was a rip-off of his novel Intensity. Uh, He said he did, but, and I quote... He found the film so puerile, so disgusting, and so intellectually bankrupt that he didn't want the association that would come from suing.
0: That kind of makes me like it more, because honestly, <laughs> Dean Coombs isn't... He's basically a poor man's Stephen King, isn't he?
1: Make me think when I read that, I, I did think, does Dean Coombs think he's been writing, like, Regency-set romance novels <laughs> all this time?
0: Maybe, Maybe he got very... High expectations of himself. I don't know.
1: Yes. But
0: we're going to have to spoil this one, I'm afraid, aren't we?
1: I think so, yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: For a lot of it, it's kind of, it, it, it takes place in the house and there's lots of savage violence. Uh, Cecile de Belgium <laughs> <laughs> gets away somehow um, and she follows on with the the killer, and uh, Marie, I think, is the name of a friend. Mm, Yeah. And they get to a convenience store, and a little bit after that, there's a major, major twist, Yeah, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever.
1: Please skip forward about 10 minutes if you do not want to be spoiled by this. Yeah, yeah.
0: Essentially, a lot of those killings were done by Cecile de France. She just didn't Mm, realise it. Yeah. But, but there's also a killer It was killing everybody. So if she killed everybody and he's a killer killing everybody, hang on. This is... I'm confused. I can't even sort of like picture it or plan it out in a sentence, never mind actually what happens here.
1: Okay, okay, Miles, defence time. Uh, I pictured it as being a sort of version of the Fight Club twist where we see a separate killer because... That the killer has sort of compartmentalised her behaviour. She is imagining that this has been carried out by a big Donald Trump-looking guy <laughs> who she saw in a Gaspar Noé movie. Um, because you know, if it, if you ask me to create a completely loathsome person, that's why I'd go for. Um, to avoid coping with the reality that she is doing it herself. I think it it muddies that line significantly by bringing back Philippe Nahon after the twist, mm. which is a big mistake. But I think it about works. Yeah, ish.
0: it's bringing him back, which really makes it confusing. I mean, yeah, what what are we supposed to believe that if that killer disappeared and it was just a sealed France who was doing it? That would be a much different sort of kettle of fish. What we're dealing with, but it's not so. It's just really confusing about what Aja's trying to go for.
1: I think the only valid explanation I could think of for bringing Nahon back is that maybe Cecile de, de France just couldn't lift the power saw <laughs> at the end.
0: Yeah, yeah. It does. I mean, is he a real person? Is he not? Because he gets up after what should have been an absolute destruction of him. You know, being hit over and over mm. again by a baseball bat with bad Way on it.
1: I Yeah, I interpreted him as being entirely imaginary, but uh, it, it is kind of hard to tell, and they do fudge it a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's presented in such a, re- a realistic register that it, it, it's yeah. sort of hard to grasp that now it's not in that same register. Now it's completely in the imagination of one of the characters. I know Fight Club doesn't make that but sort of I... distinction, but... It has that sort of aura mm. about it where it feels a little dreamy around the edges. This is just pure, grimy, nihilistic realism.
1: I think the bit that um, makes it kind of work a bit better for me is that there is a subtextual level of kind of voyeurism and arousal in the initial home invasion scene where it does, as you say, start with Cecile de France's character listening to a lovely bit of dub reggae and it has that kind of blue velvet bit where she watches one of the murders from inside the cupboard from this very voyeuristic perspective so you can see that there's a kind of subtextual implication that she's enjoying this in some way That feeds into the ending a bit more, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird movie. This um, I don't like it, mm. but it's incredibly well made.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Don't you think it's a lot quieter than you expect it to be? Yeah, I
0: mean, the sound design is is really rather marvelous. Uh, I mean, yeah, you could say it's, and I have said it's incredibly vicious, but at the same time, it doesn't show mm. all of the killings at all. Yeah, some of them are done through yeah. like very subtle sound design.
1: I also appreciated that it's got one of the few Muse songs that I actually like on the soundtrack.
0: I like one album, and it was from that. <laughs> so
1: Yeah, that, that, that's that's a better description. I think that album is pretty solid, and after that, they sort of lost their way a bit.
0: Origin and Symmetry, I think it was from, and then they just sort of vanished up their own anuses, so, you know. <laughs> Basically, yes,
1: yeah. It hangs together, and it's got some remarkable central performances, but it at the crucial point, it does kind of trip over itself in a really irritating way.
0: I can understand why it broke out in a global sense, because I think this like it predated a lot of the French extremism stuff, and yeah, this yeah. like this style of French extremism anyway. And there being a ball out of the blue for a horror, well, the era of horror which was kind of awful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There was the I, I vividly remember that there was just nothing like this when it came out.
0: Yeah. So he, he made like he made Hair while the sunshine. He really did like launch a career off the back of this. So fair play to him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And um, yeah, you know, it it does have a central sort of brace of really really effective performances. I mean, the last thing I saw Cecile de France in was Summertime, the Catherine Corsini film, in which she also plays a lesbian character, but which is otherwise, I think, quite different. Yeah,
0: on that point, I've seen a lot of angry takes about this, about its treatment of lesbianism.
1: Uh, Yeah, I sort of dimly remember those. I don't know if... I don't know if maybe it was just that 2003 was a time when representation was pretty poor and we all were so starved that we had to pretend Will and Grace was good. But watched in the context of now, where you can just sort of, where you can watch it alongside Ammonite or something else like that. I I wasn't that bothered by it, really.
0: Mm, Yeah. I mean, even on Letterboxd, there's been some uh, contemporary takes on this. I mean, there is like that subtext in some uh, old slashes how the killer ended up being gay and they uh, chastised him for it and he become like a savage murderer around high school hampers. Yeah. So there's a history to this sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just a history that feels so. You have to be careful saying this because every time I've said oh, thank God we've moved on from that within the past, what, 25 years? Mm. Uh, it's turned out to be some hideous social ill that is now running rampant. But I think it's been long enough since we saw an old-fashioned gay serial killer movie for me to actually kind of enjoy them as a throwback thing now. That's fair enough. Well, uh, yeah, I have major
0: reservations of it, but you can't
1: dispute the craft of it at all. You mentioned Letterboxd. There is one quote from Letterbox that I... Uh, I absolutely love this. I can't remember which of his films I found it on, but Big Hat Tip to Waver on Letterboxd who said, I want to call Alexandre Arjan my favourite director, even though he kind of sucks.
0: (laughs) That's kind of a perfect sum up of that guy. Yeah.
2: Brought Louie a friend to keep him company.
0: Well, technically, we're not allowed animals on the ward.
3: He's just a baby. He won't harm anyone. And Louie loves him. Okay. I'll make an exception this one time. This
0: one time. You're taking him home with you when you leave.
1: Thank you.
3: Do you want to go for a walk?
0: It's such a beautiful day outside, I was thinking of getting some air. Uh, okay, short walk. Let Louie and his old Frank get we The My Favourite Film Podcast with me, Gav Smith. And me, Gary Coleman. Each episode, we talk to someone about their favourite film. And as it's someone's favourite film, that must make it a recommendation, right? That's right. We're well, like a book club for films. If you don't know what to watch, have a look through a list and see if there's something there. There's something there for every occasion. And I, in particular, like episode 20, that guy talking about when Harry met Sally, I thought was brilliant. I, I think he was. Can't remember his name. Gary something. No, I sure. can't remember now. So join us on
1: the My Favourite Film podcast. <laughs> it's available on all podcast platforms.
0: Or oh, you can pop along to the website, www.myfavoritefilm.com where you can find all the links you could ever need. From us, till then, bye-bye. Bye! There was a little ad spot from one of the podcasts who was host, also guest host, on Directors Uncut. Just jumping in here um, to record this bit solo... Um, before we jump into the second movie on Alexandra Aja, uh, we need to look at the next director. Now, this is where it gets a little bit skittish, um, and it's testament to why we are making this a pure free podcast, as opposed to a podcast um, which has some free and a Patreon exclusive because the timelines get very, very muddled. And So essentially what's going to happen here is I'll jump to a bit where we pick the new director and then the episode following that isn't going to be that new director. It's going to be another one from the Patreon archive. So you can understand what I'm getting at a little bit here, I hope. It is getting a little bit muddled, but to keep up to date with what is happening and when... Um, please do consider subscribing. If you're enjoying the podcast, whatever you get it, Um you can also follow me on Twitter at underscore RJ Simpson or on Instagram at directors uncut pod all one word and you keep up with the announcements there um but also if you're enjoying the podcast please do consider spending a few minutes to give us either a rating or review on apple podcast or spotify or as the saying goes sharing is caring give the podcast a share on social media and it allows new eyes and ears to discover us make it a good deed for the day t-
3: Copy? Pink, god damn it, man. Where are you? I need you down here now with a snare ball. Pete, you hear that? <laughs>
0: So, from that, uh, I guess we pick up the second film, which is uh, 2019's Crawl.
1: <laughs> I was looking this up and I thought, 2019? Why does this feel like it was released a thousand years ago? Because <laughs> 2019
0: was a thousand years ago, Graham.
1: <laughs> Completely, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, this was this is his most recent film, and it's uh, basically a good old fashioned creature attack movie. Caius uh, Scott plays uh, a swimmer, which boy does that come in handy, who uh, is stranded in a rapidly flooding house in Florida during a hurricane with a father played by Barry Pepper, and. This being Florida, that flooding house is rapidly filling up with alligators as well as water. And I've we've got quite different perspectives on the creature attack movie, haven't we? As a genre, as a subgenre.
0: I mean, don't get me wrong. There's an awful lot of absolute dog crap out there. But mm-hmm. they're kind of the kind of like regional horror movies, you gotta respect the the hustle to get amid the the shakiness sort of and the -the over-the-top nature of them. They're not meant to be taken seriously, so you just sort of let them wash over you. Let the cheap, nasty crap wash over you.
1: You see, I generally hew close to the philosophy espoused by cinephile culture's leading critic of horror movies at the moment, uh, Megan the Stallion, who said that she prefers horror movies where the villain has something in them that is kind of understandable and that you kind of like. And obviously with animal attack movies, you never quite get that.
0: I mean, I like it when the sort of interacts with archive footage and it just doesn't jam at all, or there's literally a guy <laughs> in a rubber suit. And within the realm of reality, there's not much else that you can really do that with.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. What I think I'm building up to here is that maybe there is a gas leak in my home or something <laughs> like that, but I watched Crawl and had a pretty good time with okay.
0: it. I want to say this before you say why but Barry
1: Pepper plays
0: the stupidest man on Earth.
1: (laughs) That's all I've got to say. (laughs) Barry Pepper, who I will always respect for surviving Battlefield Earth, uh, plays a guy who who makes worse choices in this movie than Barry Pepper does with his acting (laughs) career, it's true.
0: Yeah, because there's a little bit running through with it. Uh, it's the apex predator thing, which is just the cringiest thing I've ever seen in a movie. Because that's sort of the the thing thing he uses to inspire his uh, daughter when she's young says, don't let this beat you, what are you? He says, I'm an apex predator. Never heard you, what are you? I'm an apex predator. And it kind of runs through the entirety
1: of the film, doesn't it? Between this and Wonder Woman 1984, I am thinking of, like seeing if I can persuade Joe Biden to pass some amendment that says any Hollywood movie using the phrase Apex Predator will be brutally penalised. Well, At least the, on the credit of this one, the
0: lead character doesn't turn into, I don't know, a, a leopard or some nonsense.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would be the ultimate twist if Kaya scott Alavio was so good at swimming because she is actually a big tuna.
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, there's a little bits as well, like you know, Barry Pepper says, "Alligators can't, or oh, crocodiles. I don't know, bloody uh, the animal kingdom." Uh, <laughs> s- says they can't see you when you don't move. It's, yeah, that's not true.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not true. I I don't know if it's true or not, but I would not like to test it.
0: Uh, I'm pretty sure you, you just watched Jurassic Park, there, Barry. <laughs> <That's different>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, nothing made me laugh more than the tagline for it. There's nothing in the film that is funnier than the tagline, which is something like, they were here first. And it's like, oh, right, but they didn't, you know, buy land. <laughs> they didn't invest in property. It doesn't mean anything. They're not a displaced people.
0: Oh, are they? Yeah. Question there, or Arle has funded and made so many movies in Hollywood over the years.
1: <laughs> I can't believe I'm the Doctor Who fan here and you're the one who's basically just pitched the Silurians.
0: <laughs> well, we've all got our off days. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the one thing that really stuck out on this is he still has that gore. That gore is still there.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Nasty as well. I mean, it's not quite as in close and in as much focus as it was in uh his previous work, but it's there, definitely.
1: And it comes out in ways that are interesting. It's quite a while. I mean, it's about sort of 20 minutes before you get an alligator on screen, so there's that. But it's quite a while before you get the first really nasty alligator attack, and it does successfully lull you into a false sense of security over how harsh this film is going to be, I think. Yeah,
0: I mean, the first time you see it is when Barry Pepper's been bit off, scratched off something on the shoulder and the prosthetics are really really grisly because also on yeah. his leg again this isn't funding my idea that barry pepper is the stupidest human alive he, he's <laughs> the bone is basically been bit in half in his leg but he gets some sort of tape and some sort of wood stuff and ties it on and oh it's fine i can walk now it's okay my leg isn't literally torn in half
1: that's one of those amazing pieces of film medicine, though, isn't it? Like <laughs> a splint is basically magic, um, is. and any wound can be successfully stabilized just by pouring a bit of whiskey on it. They're
0: all MacGyver, Graham. They're all MacGyver. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm starting to understand why I had fun with this movie <laughs> the more we talk about these things. Maybe I. Uh,
0: this is really weird because I said you don't take animal attacks movies seriously. And what am I doing?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're taking it very seriously.
0: Falling into me on,
1: craftless <laughs> is embarrassing. <laughs> I think there's plenty of things in here that are legit, unironically good. I mean, you mentioned the sound design in High Tension. The sound design in this is astonishing. I first noticed it where Caio Scott Lario's character is in the car, and there is just this constant, not loud, but always present drumming of the rain on the roof. And it's such a simple thing, but it does so much to make the film feel really oppressive, you know? Really like there's no escape.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I do like that. I mean, uh, just looping around, there is little things from Animal Attack movies that I do like, where somebody's come to rescue them and Mm -hmm. says, Oh, come and help us. There's alligators in here. We need help. It's all right. I'm going to stick my head over this giant hole and see what's there oh no yes. I've gotten bit on the face how could that have happened yeah <laughs> Just, these movies
1: are lightning <laughs> that's always lightning rods
0: for idiots these movies
1: <laughs> <laughs> this cannot have been a very expensive movie but I think effects wise it looks good I mean maybe maybe it looked different seeing it on a big screen we'll never know because that was 10,000 years ago uh, but I did think the Alligators looked pretty great.
0: I mean, they are CG, but the only way you couldn't have done that is make an incredibly expensive movie or a guy in a rubber suit.
1: Or endanger your cast with real Alligators, well, the old tippy headroom they did method. did that for Raw, and that, that,
0: that went yeah. perfectly well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of good, good fun in it. I think... I tried to look for something that I could be pretentious about just, you know, because here I am keeping up appearances. Mm. Um, The only thing I could really find is that it's strange that this movie, like so many other movies that deal with a kind of hurricane or a flood or an extreme weather event is obviously kind of drawing off the imagery that you saw in news reports of Hurricane Katrina, And it strikes me as strange that that disaster has been kind of referenced and homaged in so many movies, but it's never really had its united 93, hasn't it? There's never, as far as I'm aware, been an actual serious drama about what happened in New Orleans.
0: Yeah, they've all kind of displaced it through fantasy means or through, what was it, I can't even remember now, Ben Zeitland, Beast of the Southern Wild, just made the most obnoxious film in cinema history, you know, but...
1: I was so glad when his follow-up to that tanked. I think that's been the one good side effect of COVID. It really shifted the release of Ben Zeitlin's new He made a
0: follow-up? I thought he just vanished and gracefully retired.
1: (laughs) I remember reading a diary piece that he made um, uh, when that film was inexplicably up for Oscars, and... Uh, he said something like, "Oh, Barack Obama mentioned he saw the film. It feels so great that the leader of the free world could have experienced my film's ideas." And you think ideas? Fucking hell! No wonder America doesn't have universal health care. The president is watching a goddamn film where you have to deplug someone from their life support system because they're all machines and they're plastic.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, this is your 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 button, is it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it really is I, I get life from hating Beasts of the Southern Wild
0: <sighs> I mean yeah I mean Crawl it's, lots of people do hate it but it doesn't really have anything to hate about it, it's not like going for anything big, it's exactly what it sets out to be it's animals attacking some yeah. depresses in the rain
1: <laughs> Yes, you know likes it too, you know is a big fan of Crawl I don't know Quentin Tarantino.
0: Well, that's kind of a mixed blessing, isn't it? Have you seen his end-of-the-year film lists? They are wacky. (laughs)
1: Yes, I have. (laughs) I suppose I kind of appreciate the fact that Tarantino is, like, remaining true to the kind of dumbass B-movies that he liked back in the 60s and 70s. But, yeah, his end-of-year lists are weird as hell.
0: And also... Never listen to a podcast with uh, Tarantino One, because if it's like normally an hour long, he's on it and it's six hours long. He he can talk. Wow.
1: <laughs> it's six hours long and you have to play it at half speed to like be able to hear <laughs> an eighth of what he's saying.
0: He, yeah. I'm not even exaggerating either. They literally are that long. I mean, I like the Pure Cinema podcast, but the ones that he's on are kind of give a miss because they're just so incredibly long. Oh, but, yeah.
1: Americans don't edit these things, do no, they? No,
0: It's just unvarnished conversations that... Uh, I know they commute longer, but come on, get to the point a bit quicker, America.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, cast notes, because I'm always a, a big of cast. I'd seen Kaya Scott-Lavio in... I'm sure I've seen her in more things, but I mainly think of her as the lead in... Andrea Arnold's *Wuthering Heights*, oh, yeah. which I did not like, it... but she's actually good in this. this I such think. a big dividing line, isn't it, with the skins
0: cast? You've got what Nicholas Hall, hmm. Dev Patel, basically. Yep. Dev Patel basically being like Whoosh. a sex icon all of a sudden when that happened. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody else. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but I think she's doing all right, and I think. She is given a role here that must be kind of weird for a British like Channel 4 star, mm. where you have to be an absolutely unironically glamorous American final girl in a horror movie. And she aces it. You know, there isn't a nod and a wink in her performance. She does it great. I, mean, I, I haven't seen
0: uh, Piranha, but that is entirely nods and winks as far as, you know, the promotional yeah, campaign. Yeah. Made it look anywhere. But with these two movies, I think he's kind of underrated as a straight down the line frills horror director.
1: I would agree, yeah. Yeah. And not many of those one other not many of those. One other minor thing too, that bit with her sister on the phone at her star at the start. did you, did you spot who was playing her sister? I didn't know. It's good old Morphid, never looks the same in two movies, Clark. <sighs> really? Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's that's yeah, kind of stealthy. She had she had that wild globe year last year with St. Maud and the personal history of David Copperfield. Uh, so yeah, it's quite weird seeing her do this like, little bit cameo um, in here, but she is great in it. She always is. She's in the, David Copperfield? Of course, because she never looks the same in two movies. She's in David Copperfield twice, Rob. She plays David Copperfield's love interest and his mum.
0: I don't know if you're joking now, or not? Because I'm really confused.
1: <laughs> if I was joking, I'd take a bigger swing. I'd say she also plays Paul Whitehouse. But no, that's that's literally true. She plays both yeah. of those roles. Yeah.
0: I really need to watch that movie again now because, yeah. Definitely. There's, always a, there's always a good reason to watch uh, an Ian Ando. Oh, I've m- murdered his name there. Amando Ianucci <laughs> movies.
1: You can just pretend that Ianucci is his full name, that he's just called Ian Nucci. That's <laughs> simple.
0: That was probably a joke in his, like, his stand up show. Not a stand up show, it's sort of his sketch comedy show from the early
1: 90s. That was a good show.
2: No, you know what? I'm fine. I've actually got a lot to do. I've got to figure out who really killed Marin and get him to confess. planning to do that? Lately, I can be pretty fucking persuasive. Hey, Egg, nice look for you. Showing your true nature? I'd appreciate it if you guys all just fuck off.
1: Come on, Egg, admit you killed her. It'd be such a huge scoop for me. Oh, good to know your journalistic integrity is fucking
2: unimpeachable. Hey, you confess to me I can get out of stupid local news. You know what? I got an idea. How about you guys beat the shit out of each other, and the winner gets an exclusive interview with me.
0: And for the back half of the show, I have been joined by Kat from the Hollywood News, there. Hello. And Andy from Road to Nowhere with a key. With
3: a Yep. Hi. How are you doing? <laughs> Not bad. How How are you two?
2: I'm fine, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I've got a three-year-old at home um, who is about to be off for two weeks for Easter, so I'm just clinging on to my sanity before uh, before that kicks in, making the most of those 12 hours I get without her this week.
3: Um, <laughs> it's a small victory. Yeah. Andy, all good? <clears throat> yeah, I'm fine. I've just had a long weekend off work. Um, I also have a three-year-old who... She's been wild today, actually, but she's been good and good wild. But uh, and uh, her and my, my wife have actually got COVID at the minute, so they're having to isolate. Well, uh, not, I'm not isolating from them, but somehow I've not caught it yet. You're very very lucky. Uh, well, I mean, I could get a week off work. Well, yeah, that too. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, my sister, who's got an 18 year old,
0: insists that this is the the, the three year old is the good days, and she traded it for that like, any any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Take from that what you will. I guess. <laughs> Aye, uh, uh, good and bad I suppose the same ever I'm surprised that they one want to bring up the Oscars but I've got to mention it just in passing I don't have any horse in the race and I'm not sure you two do too but mm-hmm. it just was very mediocre this year I'll be honest
3: um, It's been my plan to stay up and watch it because I don't usually, again it's on Sunday night so I'm usually up early for work but I just uh, had a look at the lists and I just thought uh, there's not anyone I particularly care about that's it's up for anything so I just went to my bed and I'm quite gutted I did now because I've seen all the drama <laughs> well drama aye <laughs> Will Smith's drama
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean I'm not somebody that ever sort of stays up or is tempted to but I mean this year I guess more than any others I hadn't seen a lot of the ones that were nominated Um mm. I guess because a lot of yeah. stuff has gone on to various streaming platforms and you know they're like hard to collect than Pokemon or these different streaming services so I just kind <laughs> of gave yes. up
0: yeah um, a quarter of one, that was a weird one On Apple Plus mm. I had a pre- like a six months of that And it's just, yeah, not worth it yeah. Um, So, back into the show We talk about Well, back into this show in particular Previously we talked about Alexander Aja And it's only fair to give you two um, An opportunity, if you have Any
3: opinion on him I've seen Kroll recently, and I really enjoyed Kroll It's a good kind of um, Do you call that a monster movie? Not really uh, uh, Technically Yeah yeah, the alligators. It was fine. Yeah, I got a decent, decent hour and a half out of that. Other than that, I've seen Mirror years mirrors years ago, which, I, and I couldn't tell you anything about it. And I think I've seen the House of Eyes remake again, mm-hmm. though. In fact, from what I remember, the House of Eyes remake is a lot more kind of OTT with the violence than the original. Yeah. But that was just that kind of time period, wasn't it? The, and him, yeah. Aye, uh, exactly. A common thing high tension
0: switchblade killer, super super graphic. Right. Except for a slasher.
3: Hmm.
0: Uh, Kat, any any thoughts on Azure?
2: See, I really like him. Um I remember watching it was Switchblade Romance when I when I rented it. Um and I really liked that. So then I kind of made it a, a point to sort of follow what he came what came next. I I really like his Heels of Eyes remake. Um yeah. it, it actually taught me a very valuable lesson about not going to sleep listening to music with your iPod headphones in because that's okay. what I was doing at the time at uni and that's how uh, Emily Emily DeRaven sort of comes a cropper. So that was kind of, I was sort of watching it and my blood sort of went cold. Like that's that's how I go to, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. That's probably not the same. <laughs> um, and I mean, mirrors, I'm a big Keith Sutherland fan, so I had to get mirrors watched. It's It's probably one of his weaker films um and crawl is just just gave me one of the best press screenings i think i've ever been to so i went to watch it in dolby so the sound was ridiculous but i also happened to be sitting next to a guy who was deathly phobic of alligators um so he kept throwing himself back in his chair like his feet were on the chair and everything um, I don't know he's almost like he thought that I guess the 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 PRs had released a gator into the screen or something for that 4D experience. <laughs> um he was squealing so it just it just really made the film a lot more a lot more engaging I guess. Um yeah. so yeah I I sort of I will always give his work the, the the time because he does I think he does some fun things. Uh,
0: excellent. So um what have we been watching? Who wants the Jump in first with with there. It could be for a podcast. It could be um, some reviews you've done recently. It's completely open on playing field. So who wants to jump in?
2: The last thing I saw in the cinema was um, Ty West's X, um, which I which I really liked. Um, I've not seen much of his previous work, but I enjoy the um, the Innkeepers and um, House of the Devil. But this yeah. was this was very different to both of those, and I kind of liked how it was different. Um, I thought it had a lot of interesting things to say, um, which I won't necessarily get into because spoilers, because it's still quite new. Um, but I just loved that he cast Brittany Snow, because I've been a Britney Snow stan for for a while. I mean, she made the, Ill, she, you know, ill-advised made the Prom Night diluted remake. Um, but I've got a lot of time for for the work that she does. And she just steals every scene that she's that she's in in this. And she's plays like, Bobby Lynn, who's this of like, wannabe porn star stripper and she just had a lot of fun a lot of fun with her role
0: it's quite a left turn as well because um his previous stuff in keepers house of the devil quite low-key dread things like dread uh horror but this couldn't be more different from the sound of it which is a surprise really because he didn't seem like the sort to do this sort of exploitation thing
2: yeah i mean i think it's to me it wasn't as over the top, as as maybe some people are suggesting. I think he does sort of play his cards close to his chest, but for a lot of the film, it's only sort of towards the end where he lets loose. But yeah, it was nice to sort of see a different different sort of style from him.
0: Oh, cool, cool. Uh, anything else?
2: Um, I spent the majority of last week watching one documentary because it was seven hours long. Oh wow! <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the uh, Crystal Crystal Lake Memories. I think it's from 2013, but it's getting, It's just been released on digital and it's getting a Blu-ray release in a couple of weeks. And it's an exhaustive look at everything to do with the Friday the 13th um, franchise, including the TV series. Um, and it's like half an hour to an hour on each of those things with talking heads from cast and crew. And it is your one-stop shop if you've ever wanted to know anything about any of the Friday the 13th films. Um, I, the first, because it's, it's so long, it's split over two discs. I found the first disc a little dry because I think I've seen a lot of documentaries on the first Friday the 13th and some of the other ones. Yeah. But the second disc, which delves into Jason X and Freddy vs. Jason and the, the reboot, I found really interesting because I don't think they've been covered too much. Um, there's a lot of time spent with Jason X. Where even the cast sort of admit that well, we know this film's terrible, but that's kind of what you want from this sort of film, right? So it's uh, well,
0: yeah. It's... Just out of curiosity, I have to ask: how many Friday the Thirteenth are there? Because it's kind of the franchise that just won't die. If kind
2: you include, yeah, if you include the reboot, there's twelve. So oh, they well. really, they really are ripe to do. You know, at least one more to have the thirteenth Friday the thirteenth. So, you would...
0: yeah, that, that seems like an of That really,
2: yeah.
3: I think they're all caught up in uh, ownership rights and things as well, it is, isn't it, that's issues with it? Same with Freddie as well, I think it's something to do with that.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's like um, a lot of movie. I I like Hong Kong cinema, and I I realise that a lot of that isn't going to see the light of day again because the ownership rights are controversial, notorious in Hong Kong mm. for just weird people on and weird things.
3: Andy? I've also seen X, uh, so that last week I thought it was great, Um of of Thai West stuff, yeah. I've seen House of the Devil, and The Innkeepers as well. Um, it's I'd think it was actually quite a, a, a slow burn sort of. It is a lot more than really? one. Yeah, mm. I'm thinking. I mean, you're a, about an hour and fifty minute movie, and it's maybe not until the last kind of twenty minutes, half an hour, where things really, really kick off.
0: Um, so they've really put a lot of spoilers in those trailers, then, because that's what it all can, basically seems like. Just I mean, Sleeve.
3: yeah. I don't think it's a spoiler. No, no I'll try not to get to say anything about it. But Kat, Kat's seen it, and she'll know with from the way the movie opens, kind of sets you up for what's going forward. Um, and it's kind of like looking for hints and uh, tips as to what's coming, sort of thing. Um, yeah pretty- it's it's quite slow but then it yeah it goes graphic really really fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, um, that's cool. Yeah. And speaking of alligators and crocodiles there's a great couple of great scenes where I think it's an alligator in that as well. Is it a CG um alligator or crocodile? Uh, I think so one point
2: in it. Um, they I remember reading an interview with one of the cast members that uh, is involved with the gator and it was actually um, three practical gators, I think with some CG mixed in as well, but to, to get um, like a, a rolling maneuver and things, they had a a practical gator that would roll and there would be one that would swim. Um, So yeah, it was actually, they went, they went, yeah, yeah. yeah, They went, they went, they went went all in.
3: It's the right way to do that sort of thing. I feel. Yeah. Cool. Anything else? Uh, the Batman, saw so that. Um, the said day after it came out. Widely divided opinion, that one. I think, having time, obviously we come out of the movie and you're hyped up from seeing it. And at the time I was really positive, really, really positive on it. And I kind of still am. Like I probably put it above the, the Nolan ones overall. Um, yeah. Because it feels like a Batman movie. It's about Batman. It's not really Nolan was kind of interested in the duality of Bruce and Batman and that element of it. This movie's not really about. If Bruce is, is a kind of a side character almost in it, he's barely in it. Um, it is just about the Batman, which I thought was great, and it's the best depiction of Gotham City I think we've had, um, and one of the live action. Even better. I mean,
0: uh, I don't have great fondness for the original ones, but uh, the oh what's... Very, very The 1980s one, the name of the director is completely brain farted out of my head. Um, Tim Burton. Tim Burton. How could I forget him? But that's the one thing I remember about those movies. The Gotham and them mm-hmm. were pretty stellar, I'll be honest. So it would be better than that. That's pretty a high claim.
3: Yeah. I mean, again, I like those ones, but I'm not massive on them. Um, so that probably colours my judgement a wee bit as well. I think just because it... It feels more, this is maybe a bit contradictory to say it, because Tim Burton made a really hyper-comic-book-style movie, I think, but without really having an interest in the lore and the characters. This one feels like a lived-in type of Gotham that you would see, you could imagine being like in a real-world city, more so than the old Burton ones. Hmm. Cool. I mean, I will catch it eventually,
0: but it's just three hours long. That's such an <laughs> ordeal to really fit that into any sort of... Day
2: yeah i mean i had a nap during it um (laughs) it was i was going i think it's it's speeding by it's going the pace is actually going really fast and then just towards the end my brain just gave up and had like a five minute nap um so i need to (laughs) i need to go back at some point to sort of fill in those those few minutes
3: bring back cinema intervals Mm. definitely do with it, especially if I won that long and I had beer, I did be drinking, so I was needing to go to the toilet. <laughs> it, it just came at a point where I thought this is a really quiet bit, so I'm going to go. And then when I came back, the wife said, "Oh, you've missed like probably the most important part of the movie." That <laughs> <was like>, shit. <laughs> um, I've got two. I think they were both Sundance
0: debuts. Um, Fresh and The Master. Or is it just Master? Master, it's master. Just master. yeah. yeah. You've yeah, they were both at um, I'll talk about the one I liked more first, uh, Fresh, from um, Mimi Cave, which is, if I'm going to spoil it, it's easy to talk about, very, very easy to talk about, but if I'm going to avoid talking about spoilers, it becomes a little bit more of, well, impossible, really. Yeah. Um, it starts off as a typical sort of contemporary-era romantic comedy even with that horrible trope, which I hope this is a a point of self-awareness from the scriptwriters, of having the sassy black friend, which is such a a trope in romantic comedies. Yeah. I hope that was intentional. She meets Sebastian Stan, who is very, very charming. She has this horrible date with this guy who basically criticises the way she's dressing, and it's just a disaster for her. Mm, 30 minutes in.
3: Such a dick, that guy. Oh, (laughs) he is. is.
0: (laughs) Just everything.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Um and
0: thirty minutes in, it's like I can't remember seeing like a title drop outside of the ones which you get before the end credits quite as late as this. And when that title card drops, it completely upends the entire film. Yeah. And yeah, it's one of these things. It's on Disney Plus, which I think for American listeners that might be a little bit mind blowing because our Disney Plus is quite different. One thing, it's always keeping you guessing. This the story and where it goes. I don't think anybody would really expect going in, even with the little bits you've seen, trailers and posters. I don't think it really becomes predictable. One thing I will say, though is I think its execution's a bit weird. It's a bit flat. It's a bit televisual, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, yeah, get me. Mm
0: -hmm. There's something I can't put my finger on. I really enjoyed it. Uh, The third act is very cathartic. Mm. Uh, It kind of calls back to uh, maybe Last House on the Left with one of... It's one of the way that the, the big end of first yeah. finishes, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just felt like there's something not quite there. I'm assuming both of you have seen it. Yes. What are your feelings on, on Fresh?
3: Um, I really enjoyed it, yeah. I thought it was a, a kind of similar to yourself. I'd avoided most trailers, avoided even reviews for it, but I'd seen the kind of positive... Um. Consensus on Twitter that was going about just a couple of nights before it came out on Disney Plus, um, but I had kind of went in for one a better word fresh, and then having seen posters and things, I had what I thought was an idea, but it wasn't what the way it was going. Um, the way it yeah. went wasn't what I thought. Um, yeah, there was as much as i did enjoy it, it did feel like there was something missing. I don't know if it was maybe it's obviously not a film intended to be this way, but maybe a wee bit more nastiness missing from it. Like, it's pretty nasty. Yeah. I know. I yeah. I kind of similar to yourself though, there was something that felt missing for me. I, that's it doesn't it didn't need to be nastier, but I don't know if that's maybe what I... Mm.
2: I caught it at Sundance, so there wasn't the opportunity for any sort of spoilers to to be out at, at that point in time. Um and I, I sort of really realised it. I will say I feel like it's just slightly too long. I mean, it's almost two hours, I think. I just kind of feel that yeah. maybe shave 10, 15 minutes off would have made it a little bit tighter, especially around the end, because it, it kind of gets into the, the territory where it's trying to end itself a few too many times. But I loved the um, the setup where you kind, of, you kind of know what sort of film you're in for. So you know that something's not going to be quite right, but you don't know whether it's going to be him or her. And there's just this... This this great bit where they're having takeaway and she orders like a load of meat and he's, and he's like, Oh, I, I don't, I don't eat animals. And she's like, Oh my God, yeah. I didn't realize that you were a vegetarian. And then obviously later on, you kind of realize that the other meaning of, of that phrase that he says, because he's very particular with the words he chooses. He doesn't say he doesn't eat meat. <laughs> yes. um, and I think that's a, that's a really, I kind of liked that sort of cleverness within, within the script.
0: I mean, it, it's satire seeping out of every every little bit of it. Satire mm. and dating um, is pretty much the backbone of it. But yeah, it, it's great, and I'm looking forward to what Mimi Cave does in the future.
3: Mm. Definitely.
0: And Master, Mariama Diallo, is the other one, which I don't think is quite as successful. It's effectively about institutionalised racism in white institutions in America, or just white America. Effectively, um, tell the story is told from two perspectives. One is from the perspective of a student, and one is from. A, it's not. I don't really think they've got a contemporary or opposite here, housemaster. It's kind of a bit lost on these shows, but mm. it's one of these. It's being compared to Get Out. I think unfairly, and um, that's quite complimentary of it, and exposes it quite a bit. It's interesting in the sense of it's telling this great story, but I think its problem is I don't think it knows what it really wants to do because the horror always seems very very half hearted um there's great bits like I don't know if this is intentional again, and um, there's like a running commentary through a lot of people how lot black filmmakers about lighting black skin properly, and nobody's lit properly in this it's just really have a poorly lit or very satirical, and I don't quite know which one. So, yeah, it's exposed by the, the horror being bad, mm. and there not being enough of the other aspect of it, the storytelling and the, the satire of it. So, yeah, I'm not sure of this one. I think it's um, a bit of a swing and a miss,
3: unfortunately. When I first started watching it, I was enjoying it, and enjoying mm. the, what I thought it was setting up. But then, for me, the ending just didn't really land. Like, I didn't. I felt like I'd missed something. I'd missed a part of a story that it felt like I it was
0: lost in the edit. Maybe, yeah.
3: Yeah, like the whole. Obviously, without going into spoilers, there's like a revelation that gets addressed. And is it about one character's paranoia? Is it about something more sinister? There's, yeah, like cloaked figures or a cloaked figure. Running yeah. around, and again, I, uh, maybe I've missed something, or maybe I've just picked my phone up at the wrong time. But I just felt like there was <laughs> an, at least a good 10 15 minutes. Uh, um, what's the word The when someone's like telling the plot in the movie? Exposition. Exposition. Oh, god, I took such a blank there. Yeah, it felt like there was just like an extra exposition drop just missing somewhere. Like
0: Oh, oh that's interesting because. That character, Captain Exposition, you know, is always that one character who just his only role in it is to come on and tell explain the plot. Aye, like uh, the guy in uh, Pontypool, he he's a he's a good one.
3: He explains everything. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just yeah, something just. I think if it had went the way I thought it was going to be, it would have been better. I'm not saying that I would have made it better, but I mean just ah, <laughs> the, yeah. the right yeah, filmmakers.
2: Yeah, I, I also wasn't particularly a fan. Again, I caught it at Sundance and I decided not to review it just because I just I just thought it was a bit dull and I just didn't, like like, like you both say, I just didn't quite get exactly what it was trying to, trying to say. It just seemed that the, its message was just a bit muddled and a bit yeah. confused.
0: And you just couldn't see. The horror was undermined by everything being so dark. Hmm. I, I don't know where I'm supposed to be looking or what's supposed to be happening.
2: Yeah, I got I very confused as to what was actually supposed to be the horror within it. Um, in in some ways, I was expecting it to be, you know, not necessarily an urban legend sort of film, but you know, it's at a university, so I was expecting it, there to be something to it more than than I got.
0: Yeah, um, if you want a listeners, if you want a movie about living in a white country as a black family, watch His House. That's, oh, that's excellent. That's amazing. <laughs> hmm. Um. But yeah, I think that's all we have for this episode with Alexandra Ajaer. And that's us for another episode. If you have any questions or any comments on the films we've covered, all their makers, that includes all of season one. A check the feed for some of the other names. Um, we'd love to hear your comments on those directors and those films. Uh, we'll be talking about those in the season one finale, which should come early July. So get your emails in early at directorsuncutpodgmail.com. at gmail.com. Kat, where can we find you online?
2: Uh, my Twitter is at Gizmo Shikari and I, most of my writing is on www.thehollywoodnews.com.
3: Excellent. And Andy? Just basically Twitter. Um, I'm at NowhereAndy and the podcast Twitter account is at WhereIsNowhere. With a K. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes.
0: And earlier I was joined by Graham Williamson. Links the way you can find them in the description below. But I have been Rob Simpson and that has been directors as uncut.